I'm Heather Roberts here with Eliza Wilson, the chair of the Central Oregon Homeless Leadership Coalition. First of all, Eliza, I know you're really, really busy this week. So thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. The point in time homeless count that happens every year is happening this week. Help me understand that process. Just introduce us to what's happening this week. The, the point in time count is a count that happens nationally all across the country at the same time every year, but every community does it a little bit differently. So in the last couple months, Central Oregon community service providers, um, you know, medical field and different folks that interface with people experiencing houselessness have worked together to kind of create a plan of how we're going to do this. And so it looks different depending on if a person is being sheltered in a shelter um, or if they're staying outside or in a place not meant for human habitation. We're kind of doing that in separate ways. So the shelters collect data all the time on people and we'll be submitting it for this data purpose. And then outreach teams who already connect with people living outside or in their cars um, will be connecting with folks over the next week or so to collect data from them. Now, we already know that Central Oregon has one of the highest, if not the highest rates of unsheltered homeless in the state. I would imagine that would make it difficult to do these counts. It makes it difficult because there's so many people to count. Also, because it kind of looks different in every community in Central Oregon, because folks cannot you know, camp in a specific location for very long, and um, they've had to move to different locations or have been moved to different locations, it can be hard to know where to go. I think we are really fortunate to have regular service providers that are going connecting with people on a regular basis to offer support, survival services um, is what I would call them um, on a regular basis. So they know where folks are for the most part, but they're are a lot of times where folks are, are being asked to move or to relocate in town. Um, so just trying to capture all those numbers is, is, is really tough. So walk me through how that count actually happens. If I'm not mistaken, it's specifically looking at the night of January 24th, right? Yeah, that's correct. So we, we can count from the 24th until the 31st. So when we do have someone who's willing to answer the questions, um, we can ask them the series of questions about the night of the 24th though. So it is just a snapshot of that evening, how many people were living unsheltered. That's not the only question you ask, right? No, okay. no absolutely <laughs> so not. Give me a sense yeah, of what so that survey general, looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So general demographic information like name, race, gender, um, how many people are in their household, where they were last stably housed is a really important question that we ask, uh, just because of misconceptions that are kind of spread around in the community. We ask about disability. We ask about veteran status. We ask about, um, you know, mental health, those types of things. How difficult is it to get realistic answers, honest answers? I mean, when you're asking someone about their mental health, that's a very private question. And I mean, I know these service providers are working with these people on a regular basis, but that's a lot of trust in those people. I think the fact that we have, like, if you even look at last year's count and that we completed as many surveys as we did, I think it really just goes to show how much trust and rapport is built between people and their service providers that are, that are connecting with them daily or weekly. I also think it's some, there's something to be said and not to get philosophical about how often we kind of rely on people to provide personal 
information when they're in need. We are required to do this. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't show the clear picture of need, but it, it gives us a snapshot that, so we can try to make good decisions locally. And then so that the federal government can give us um, funds to try to support our local community. But you're right. It is, it is a tough thing to ask people to be vulnerable about something so personal. It's also tough to get an accurate count. I mean, in past years, I feel like every year we report on the numbers with that asterisk that says they believe this is an undercount. Do you think that will be more accurate this year? Are we going to do better at getting accurate data? I think the more service providers we can connect with to do this work um, for this you know, period of time, like the week that we do the count, uh, the more accurate count we'll have. Yeah, I'm sure people will question, well, how do you make sure you're not counting people twice? Well, we do have a lot more knowledge with data and it's not me doing the data. So um, we're good there. They definitely cross check. They ask questions so that they know that we're not counting people more than once. And really, as far as it being better this year, I think we do have a lot of great service providers that are really volunteering their time to do this, but we don't ever get everybody. And that's because some people just are not able at that point to complete a survey with us. Maybe that's because we're not aware that people are experiencing, some people are experiencing homelessness. Um, There are a lot of folks, I was talking to the chief of Redmond Police Department the other day, and we were talking about how there are some folks that when they first become homeless, they're staying in their car, they're still working, they're kind of making it making it until, you know, something happens and maybe their car breaks down, breaks down or they get a flat tire. Um, so a lot of those folks that are like newly experiencing homelessness, you know, we don't capture those folks as much until they've really needed to connect with service providers. I think people really try to do things on their own until they really are just dire, dire in need, you know. I imagine that pride weighs into that a lot. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, as a culture, I think in America, we kind of tell people, oh, we got to, you know, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. But really, we know that not everyone um, has the same support system and privilege as, as others. So we don't always have people to fall back on. Help us understand that big picture of homelessness in Central Oregon. It's not only people living in tents out on BLM land. No, that's absolutely right. I think we, when someone thinks of people experiencing homelessness, they think of the the visible picture that we see, you know, when we see people, you know, near downtown, or we see people on like the underpasses or whatever those visuals are. But I think what is unrepresented in like the conversation and and, in the knowledge of people in the community is that we do have really have a lot of families and youth experiencing homelessness. We have a high number of people with medical vulnerabilities, people who are discharging from the hospital or unable to get surgeries or, you know, transplants. I mean, people who are very, are elderly and disabled and a range of disabilities experiencing homelessness. So I think that that's, that's the piece that often gets missed. I know that it, we only have about a minute left, and this is a, a such a big conversation, but we are seeing more shelters coming online in Central Oregon, even outside of Bend, which in my time in Central Oregon didn't exist for so, forever. I mean, it's really the first time we've seen permanent shelter options in Redmond. Is that going to ever be enough to get the unsheltered into a, a habitable situation? It's a start, right? Like to have more resources. Um, We know we, even if we were able to house everyone in shelter, if we did have enough shelter, which we don't, we're 
we're so grateful to have community partners like Shepherd's House, Bethlehem Inn, other folks who are willing to grow and really try to expand shelter beds. Um, and that's been a huge uh, gift to our community for them to step up in that major way, neighbor impact as well. But I do think that, so if we were to put people into shelter, but then where do they go after, right? There's really a serious lack of affordable housing at all levels, even for people who have would normally have the money to buy a house or, or to rent a place. It's, it's hard to find a rental um, in Central Oregon and low low income housing is is really, really, it's scarce. So that's a tough thing. And we also need, not everyone um, is able to access a shelter, you know, whether they have a vehicle or animals or things like that, that they have with them or a large family, it's hard to access shelter. So I think we do have to continue as a community to try to to come up with other options. I think safe parking is great for, you know, until people can get into housing. Um, that can be good for some families. Definitely housing or, you know, permanent supportive housing. So more supports for people who really need it. Um, and then that low income housing we got to work on as a community for sure. We are out of time, Eliza Wilson. This is a conversation I know we could we could take on for all day if we had the time to do so. Uh, real quick, when do we expect to see the results of this week's pit count? Yeah, that's a good question. It, it probably takes, you know, it takes a couple months to get everything together. We upload it to HUD first and get the stuff back. Um, so probably April, May or so. Okay. Eliza Wilson with the Homeless Leadership Coalition. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to FM News 100 and 1110 KBND.